Hey, and welcome to the Bonacast. We are Phil and Meredith, and we believe that the life of a Jesus follower is a resilient life. And so because of that, every month we have conversations that we hope will help strengthen your faith. Yeah, that's right. This month we are taking on a topic that we think is so important. If you are here in the U.S. with us, then you know that some recent legislation has really created a fresh conversation around the topics of abortion and being a pro-life community and what that looks like. So that's what we're jumping into today. And so sometimes this is just a conversation between Meredith and I, but today we have a special guest and our friend and expert in the field, Savannah Martin. And Savannah, you are the executive director for the Pregnancy Center of, the, of Toledo. And not just that, you're a national speaker on the topic. And of course, uh, as we talk about, you are a, a bridge builder, which yeah. means that you lean into uncomfortable conversations with different people who disagree, uh, and you find ways to have a conversation that ultimately honors Jesus. So welcome. It's super great to be here. I um, am a fan of your kind of bonus conversations that you have and have had the opportunity to listen to some of them. So thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited about it. Hey, before we jump all the way into today's conversation, we do just want to take a minute to say this is obviously a sensitive topic, and there is uh, the potential for some of the conversation to be triggering for different people, and it probably isn't a suitable conversation for all audiences, especially if you like to listen to podcasts in your car like I do, and uh, maybe your kids are with you. Now is probably a great time for you to kind of switch over, listen to something else, come back and review the content later. But for those of you who want to stay leaned in, feel ready for today's conversation. Uh, We're looking forward to just what God does through our conversation today. Awesome. So Savannah, up first, would you tell us a little bit in like a minute or less about what a pregnancy center is uh, and what you're passionate about uh, within this topic and kind of why you got into the work that you're doing and why you stay involved in the work that you do? So uh, pregnancy centers actually exist all across our country, and we've even seen uh, in the last decade uh, pregnancy centers kind of popping up uh, even internationally. Um, So there are really two kind of standards of uh, excellence and affiliation, uh, CareNet and Heartbeat International really set standards of excellence. Uh, NIFLA also who helps set legal and medical precedents and really the kind of three tenets of a pregnancy center. The first is um, that we would be providing wraparound care and support uh, for women who are experiencing an unintended pregnancy. And um, a lot of times there's also a medical component uh, kind of with kind of that social service wraparound support. Um, And then the really cool thing about pregnancy centers is, is that they're so unique to their communities that they're in. So instead of it being this kind of top-down model where every pregnancy center looks exactly the same, our affiliations really encourage us to lean into the needs of our uh, particular community. So there are some pregnancy centers that are really close to college campus and have, you know, really heavily uh, kind of influence on that college campus. If they're in more rural communities, Um, You know, if they're in more urban communities that you just see this really different uh, expression, Um, some centers offer full medical uh, coverage from the time that that woman might think that she's pregnant to even uh, some one of my favorite centers in Florida has a birthing center. Um, And then kind of the last leg of that stool is the gospel, you know, Mm -hmm. that we have the privilege to be able to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus. And when people are ready to ask you know, why um, that we're able to share, you know, with these women and with these fathers about just the good news that Jesus came, you know, for them and that he wants them to not just have life, but to have it abundantly. Love it. So it's a three-legged stool and each pregnancy center is different depending on the needs in the community. So the pregnancy center of Toledo looks different than the one in Florida, looks different than the one that's in California, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got into the work that you're doing and why you're passionate about it and why you, why you stay. Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation uh, with God probably 11 years ago, and I was in uh, the house of prayer here in Toledo, and I asked this question, which seemed really harmless at the time, but 
looking back was probably one of the most dangerous questions that I've ever mm-hmm. asked God. Um, I, I asked him just really simply, like, what does your heart break for? And um, the Lord it was really this cool thing where I, f- you know, he started to talk to me about the uh, issue of abortion and, and the way that um, it, it impacts not just the unborn, but also the family unit, both mothers and fathers. But then I also had this, this experience with him where I could feel the weight of the way that this was grieving uh, his heart. So in the Gospels, you know, Jesus shows up in this town um, and he looks around and he says, you know, it, he was moved with compassion because these people were like sheep without a shepherd. And I had kind of this very similar experience where I didn't just feel like God said something to me. Like it actually felt like I had a glimpse of how his heart felt. Um, and I really felt like that's what moved me. Um, so it's one thing to like have intellectual knowledge about an injustice, but then to really feel the Lord's heart. Um, and I think that, you know, continuing to go back to that place is what keeps me passionate about it is, you know, on the, the hard days, just going back and asking him to just move on my heart again, that I would feel, um, the weight. I have an excellent team. Um, and my team here keeps me, um, absolutely motivated, um, to show up. I love the community that I'm in. Um, I see the absolute need. I think that pregnancy centers are absolutely the solution to, um, you know, making abortion unthinkable in our community and, um, you know, the lives of the clients that we've seen not just, you know, choose to carry and parent their children, but also have made advances in their career or graduated or started businesses, you know, bought their own homes. Like those things keep me motivated. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So you've used a a few different terms that I think at the beginning of this conversation, it's important that we clarify because I think that these terms might mean different things to different people. So let's just clarify what we mean. You've used the word life, you've used the word pregnancy, and you've used the word abortion. So can you maybe uh, give a little bit more clarity about when you use those terms, what are you talking about and why? Sure. So um, as a Christian, my, you know, belief in what motivates me is, uh, you know, in Psalm 139, uh, it says that that God um, knitted our frame together um, in our mother's womb. And um, then he says, and every day was laid out for me. Um, and so when we look at abortion um, from a, through a Christian biblical worldview, um, what we see is the destruction of um, not just a physical frame of a child, but we also see the physical destruction of all of those days that were laid out um, in front. So it's not just this like body destruction, it's also this life um, destruction. Um, and, you know, the other side of that is, you know, Jesus in um, John 10, 10 said, it's the enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy. Right. Um, and, but Jesus says, you know, I came that they would have life. And in typical Jesus fashion, you know, I think for a long time, the pro-life movement has put a period there. Um, but Jesus didn't put a period there. He put a comma. Mm. And he said, I came that they would have life and, and that they would have it abundantly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I will be the first person to show up, you know, and talk and, and look at the, the history of the, the pro-life movement in a, in a critical, uh, you know, uh, manner, because I think it's important that we admit where maybe we've missed it or um, maybe we've been laser focused on certain things. Um, and I think that what I see now that really excites me, especially about the pregnancy center movement, is that you're really seeing that abundant life model where, you know, for I think for a long time, one of the things that was harmful or misunderstood about the pro-life movement is that we only cared about the baby. It was just about saving the baby, you know, baby, 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 a hundred percent. And Um, You know, then probably in the early 90s, what you saw is the pro-life movement kind of wake up and go like, there is a woman here and it's important um, that we understand that she is just as valuable um, as this, you know, child. And um, so you kind of saw this kind of early 90s movement of like love them both. Um, And then I would say probably in the last like 
even five to 10 years, what you've seen is that this understanding of like, love them all, <laughs> like mm. a true, a true kind of consistent pro-life ethic is, you know, that we would love them all. So yes, we love the unborn child, but we also love the woman. Um, and we also love the father that this whole family unit, um, is, is something that God designed and created. And as a truly pro-life individual with a Christian worldview, um, I never have to sacrifice the value of any one person to promote the value of another person. So I don't have to sacrifice the value of a mother um, to promote the value of a child. And I don't have to sacrifice the value of a father to care about mother and baby. That is actually all of them consistently at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, I think that leads perfectly into my next question, which is talking about what a fully pro-life community looks like. You just talked about how we don't have to sacrifice the value of one just to support and, and see the value in the other. So can you maybe both talk a little bit more about what a, what a fully and truly pro-life community actually looks like? Yeah, I'll jump in a minute from, you know, from leading a church or maybe even step back from that and talk about just myself as an individual, right? Leading a life that fully supports a pro-life kind of focus, I think has a lot to do with exactly what Savannah was talking about, looking at, okay, what are all of the aspects? What happens to this child after they're born? What happens to this mother after the baby's born? What happens to this father after the baby is born? And how do we create all of the systems, all of the support, all of the structure around that, that lets this person know, hey, you can do this. This is possible in our community. This is possible in our city. And then I think as individuals, as churches, our response has to be um, not only advocacy. Advocacy is, is incredibly important, but we can't quit at advocacy. How are we actually showing up? And there are, there are tons, there are dozens of ways that we can then show up and create that support, create those safety nets in our community, create, so, I mean, it's things like everything from foster care to providing, you know, um, accessible childcare so a parent can get to work or finish a degree, creating, you know, financial support that's a, that allows them to finish a degree or pursue a career, creating food stability and, and all of those types of things inside of our communities helps us go, okay, this is actually a community where it's possible for someone who had an unintended pregnancy to then go ahead, have that baby and create a life for that baby. Yeah. And I think um, there's a really in, uh, kind of fascinating statistic that comes out of the LifeWay Institute research uh, in like either 2016 or 2017, and they polled women who had uh, who had had an abortion, and they asked these women, um, you know, why why they made that decision or kind of what led them to mm -hmm. that decision. Um, and in that, there's lots of fascinating kind of data points in that research. But one of them that really motivates us at our center is that about 49% of those women stated that they did not have an abortion because they felt like it was their best choice. They had an abortion because it felt like it was their only choice. Yeah. And so when you look at kind of the national conversation um, that's happening around this issue, um, you know, the conversation that people are having are, you know, the debate between choice and rights and whose rights and whose choice. And the reality is, is that the people on the ground level that this is affecting every single day, that half of them um, actually did not feel like they had choices. And there uh, was recent uh, a survey that came out uh, in 2017 and 2018, and what they talked about is that uh, women who walked into a pregnancy care center kind of across the United States, that those women who walked in and received services were actually almost 50 times uh, or 50 percent more likely to not make an abortion uh, decision. And so I think sometimes when we look at the unfortunate division around this conversation, mm -hmm. I actually think that there's a lot more that we do agree on. Um, and part of what I have conversations with, you know, people who would identify themselves as pro-choice in our community is we actually want a lot of the same things. Sure. Um, and when we can provide um, the, the options and the sustainability and the programs that these women and um, these men, these mothers and fathers that they need, um, that abortion almost becomes an irrelevant topic um, because they're not coming in because they want to exercise their kind of quote unquote right. They're coming in because there's lack in their life, whether it's yeah. financial, 
um, economic, um, childcare, they're trying to finish their degree. Um, and they're seeing abortion as their way out because of that lack. So as pregnancy centers and really as the church, we get to step in and say, um, there are resources for you. And how can we help make those um, accessible to you? How can we help create awareness um, so that you don't have to make that decision? Yeah. And I think that that point, those statistics are so revealing and so important because they remind us of of the person, right? Like you said, these issues become so polarizing and they become so kind of staked in different camps that that it's easy to forget the reality of what someone's going through. So so specifically today's conversation, right, is targeted largely at at our church family, at at other believers. And it can be really easy for someone to paint a picture of who they think this person is that has walked into a clinic to have an abortion. And, and A, I guess what I want to say to that is listen to those statistics. This is someone who has found themselves in an impossible situation who has come to say, I don't, I don't know another way out. And so I think when we lead into the conversation, we need to lead in with love, with understanding, with going, wow, how have we failed as a community? How have we failed as the body of Christ who's supposed to be creating support and love and, and, and safety around the, the women, the young men, the, you know, the children in our community? How have we failed that they found themselves somewhere where they've gone, I don't feel like I have the choice that should be there in front of me? And then just, I guess, encourage as well empathy. I, I think that the statistics are around one in four women have experienced an abortion by, what, 30, 35? I you always know st- stats a little I bit better. I think it's probably four. I think it's one in four by the um, what they deem as kind of the end of childbearing years. Yeah. So the, like, end year okay. could be anywhere from, like, your late 30s to early to 40s. To early 40s. But yeah, one in four. And that's just women represented in the church. Yep. Um, and so, that's you know. That's a church on, study. Yeah. yeah. On, on Sunday morning. Um, you know, you know, whether you attend here at Cornerstone or wherever you find yourself, you know, on Sunday morning, like I would encourage you to look around on Sunday morning and allow the, the gravity that one out of every four in its individual. So it's including the the men in that statistic, um, haven't experienced, um, an abortion. There was an interview um, that Lecrae and Paul Washer, which is one of my favorite two mm. people. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I wish I could have been a fly <laughs> right. on the wall with like Paul Washer and Lecrae yes. in, in the room, room together. Right? Sure. Yeah, and they did this interview, um, and they basically said by the year 2025, if abortion statistics continue to tr- uh, trend in the direction that they are, that abortion will be the actual um, single most common experience um, among wow. human beings globally. Um, and that, like, if we allow wow. those stats, I mean, sometimes stats can be very, you know, kind of in the minutia. I'm not, I don't love statistics, but I think that, you know, part of the value of stats is because this is such a highly emotional conversation. Yep. It's just an emotionally charged conversation that when we allow the weight of that to hit us yep. and understand from an empathy perspective, and it does, it brings the humanness that these aren't, you know, people, you know, in our community that, um, you know, live differently than we do. Yeah. These are people that show up and go to our churches. Yeah. You know, in that same study, you know, it talked about um, that the women that they they surveyed at the time of their abortion, the majority of them had attended church at least one time in the month leading up to their abortion. And so not only are these um, people who are sitting in the church who have experienced it, um, this is also people, there are people around us on Sunday morning that that are facing unintended pregnancies um, and they don't see the church right now or at the time of that survey as a safe place to be able to run to um, when they need that help and that hope and those resources. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that statistics help in this conversation because when you don't have statistics, you have a lot of um, propaganda or opinion, right, yeah. that goes into that. And so, um, you know, as, as someone who uh, is aware of a lot of the conversation that goes on across the nation, um, some of what I hear is that abortion is uh, synonymous with women's rights or women's mm. empowerment or, or women's liberation, those types mm. of things. So as, as a male who's speaking to two women right here, what would you say to that, that abortion um, creates an avenue for women's rights? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go I, first. I think, 
you know, there there's two thoughts that kind of run through my mind. The first is, you know, that if if we're we're a believer, if we're a Christian, you know, everything that we experience um, in the world, like as a believer, it's our responsibility to look at it from a biblical worldview. Um, so I'll kind of start there. You know, that the reality is is that as believers, the world is telling us as women. Um, that we need to look a certain way and that we need to to do certain things. Um, but when we read in the Bible, like as a woman, it's really um, clear that the Bible has so much wisdom um, and there's so much empowerment um, of yeah. women. And unfortunately, the Bible has also been misused to hurt women. Um, but if we're actually reading it, you know, Jesus was such a huge encourager and um, empowerer of women. Um, he brought women close to him. There were women in his, you know, inner circle. Um, and so when we look at, um, what it means to be a woman, um, and then we look at kind of this, uh, slogan that, you know, abortion is, uh, a right as our, as a woman, they really don't, they don't jive. They don't go together. And because what we see is that as women, you know, who were created by God, like we were created to be mothers. And there are things that our bodies were designed and created to do that are so powerful. You know, I haven't gone through childbirth, um, but I've, you know, been close enough and, you know, I've been privileged to be able to be in the room with other women. Like this is a powerful, like miracle as much as we look at babies and say, man, like that's such a miracle. Like the way that a, a woman's body uh, nurtures and cares for a child in utero um, and then prepares itself naturally. And like the way that like our even our bones in our body are designed to be able to move. Like, Phil, your bones in your body don't move in that way. Right. But, like, God knew that, like, our bones yeah. are going to have to expand in certain ways. And, like, it's so powerful that as women, like, we have the ability to hold and nurture life and to bring it forth. Um, and I feel like that gets minimized. Like, that's not imprisoning. That is not... Um, you know, it's not a shackle, like that is an empowering thing. And really, when I look at abortion, it from a from a, a Christian feminist <laughs> standpoint, um, abortion is is actually the exact opposite, because what abortion tells women is that they can't have their dreams and their children. too. Right. Like, so huh. to me, that essentially is the opposite of women's empowerment is to say you can't complete your education and have your baby. And, you know, the other reality is that when we look at the demographics in our uh, society and who is having abortions, what we're saying is uh, women who have achieved a certain status, whether it's economically or live in certain areas of the United States, like those women are able to have their dreams and their babies. But this, you know, these women over here who maybe are less advantaged and didn't have all of the options that these other women had, like they actually can't do it. Um, and so to me, it's really empowering at the pregnancy center that we get to sit with women every single day and say, you can absolutely have your dreams. You can do what you feel called to do and you can be a mother at the same time. Yeah. That's, that's the thought that I, that comes, always comes to my mind first when it says, you know, like when we hear this language that says that, that abortion is women's empowerment is that the, the core message behind that message is you're not capable you're not capable of doing both of these things at the same time. You're not capable of the degree. You're not capable of the job. You're not capable of the business you want to launch and mothering at the same time. Mothering is going to steal your opportunity to do that because you aren't big enough. You aren't good enough. And, and who does that sound like? That doesn't sound like the voice of God. The voice of God says, I've made you able and I have plans for you and you're capable and you can do this. And, and my spirit on the inside of you makes you able to do all of these things but the voice of the enemy says actually you're quite small actually your life is limited actually you're not going to be able to achieve actually I'm going to steal that from you and so I think that's the true message that comes and it's cloaked in all of this other feelings and all of these other thoughts and and then I think the other thing behind it is at the end of the day 
we know that abortion doesn't help women. It hurts women. Women who go through abortion suffer incredible trauma, suffer high levels of depression that are totally disproportionate to their counterparts who haven't gone through that experience, suffer uh, addiction rates at far higher levels than their you know, counterparts that would be in the same kind of socioeconomic so are, are and life experiences. Are these just opinions that you're sharing, or is there there's studies and evidence to show that there is an impact on the woman after the abortion? There's actually yeah. a really fascinating study out of Bowling Green University, um, which is fun because that's so close to where we're at. Um, And um, they studied women who had uh, had an abortion. And um, really what the end of that study kind of resulted in is that uh, uh, post-abortive women um, experiences levels of PTSD that are actually very um, close to uh, even people coming home from war. And so when you kind of look at the markers that they're looking at, um, when, you know, Meredith talked about addiction, it's like seven times higher addiction rates in post-abortive men and women. Um, Depression is over 90% um, higher. Um, And so these are real, you know, areas of trauma. And the hard part for um, a lot of post-abortive individuals is like there are other things that are happening in their life. Um, And because the message that these men and women are hearing was this was your right and it was so good and it was so wonderful that they start, they start experiencing, you know, these, these manifestations of trauma and they don't liken it back to abortion. So that same study out of BG also said that it takes eight hours of clinical counseling before a woman will even admit that she's walked through an abortion. Wow. Yeah. And, and then I think if we're talking about being a fully pro-life community, this is where I think you touched on something so important there. This is where we have to do better as faith communities in supporting men and women who have gone through an abortion because the message that, so you, you've gone through this very painful experience and on, on one side they're saying, Hey, this was your right. And, and isn't this an empowerment that you were able to do this? And it was basically like a, you know, an outpatient surgery. So, so go on with your life now. But then the message that's often received on the other side is this has been something so terrible and so shameful that you've gone through that that you can't talk about it with anybody. So people are just carrying around this unimaginable pain, unable to identify where it's coming from, unable to really find the proper resources. That is this is an issue I've cared about for, for years and years and years since, since I think kind of my late teen years. But that is what really connected Savannah and I connected me to the pregnancy center is the work that happens. Yes. With p- people who find themselves with an unintended pregnancy to see that baby to birth and even to the steps after, but also the incredible care that happens at the pregnancy center with post-abortive women and men who, who need that wraparound support. Because if, if we're saying we're fully life, that's what a fully life community looks like is okay. Now this is where we are. Let's care for you where you are now, which which I know maybe we'll talk about a little bit more later. But but we have to find better language. We have to find better empathy in the church to say, okay, that's that's a decision that you made. That's something that happened in your life. How do we how do we express the love, the care, the mercy, the grace, the goodness of Jesus for you where you are right now? Yeah. And you had touched on um, you know this idea of like women's rights and then, you know, Meredith Mm -hmm. even about this, you know, this ability of like, we're not, you know, we're, we are capable, we're capable of being mothers and showing up and doing our jobs and all the other responsibilities. But the other thing um, that as a, as a church and as a society um, for us to be fully and wholly pro-life, we need to have businesses um, that uh, cater and understand um, that there are mothers among us. Yeah, so great. first of all, mothering is not a dirty word. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as business owners and as leaders in the church and in corporations, you know, we have to understand that there are mothers among us and that a father showing up um, in his needs, which are also extremely important, um, they're going to look really different. And so do we have, um, do we have, you know, uh, nursing stations in our bathrooms at church? Do we have them in, you know, our businesses and the, you know, the, the toilet that's for handicapped people is not appropriate, um, for a woman to nurse. And so if that's where you're like, Oh, that's where our nursing station is like, that's not appropriate. Like there needs to be a space for mothers to be able to nurse. Do you have a refrigerator on site that she can store her breast milk in? Like, you know, 
are, do we have a checklist where, you know, mothers are being valued? I was recently talking to someone about an entrepreneurial program that's getting started here in our community. And they're wanting our clients to uh, get enrolled in this. And I'm like, I love it. Um, But I think it's really important that our clients are matched with women who are mothers who own businesses. If I'm going to send our clients to be mentored by people in our community, I want them to see examples of what. And they said, well, it's really hard to find these women. And I'm like, well, it's hard for them to find because as, you know, when we're putting together boards and when we're, you know, hiring in our businesses, we look at the aspects of motherhood, the responsibilities that come with that as almost like quote unquote baggage. When the reality is, is that if we lean into that, then our companies and our churches and our ministries, the, the, the boards that we're leading, they are more representative of our whole entire community when we bring mothers, you know, to be a part of those things. And when we look at a lot of other countries, like the United yeah. States, I feel like we have things a little bit backwards. I love male leadership. I, I have tons of great male leaders. Um, but if you look, you know, even in my time when I was in Africa, like there's such this like respect um, for mothers in the community because they understand the power and the knowledge that women who have experienced motherhood bring to this kind of like holistic perspective of caring, you know, for a community. So I think it goes both ways. Like, yeah. yes, we are capable, but also like give us a clean place to be able to like pump yeah. and, right. you know, do you, do we have adequate like time off? Like at the pregnancy center, I'm really proud of this. Our policy for sick time includes children. So our moms who show up for work, they get to, like if their kids are sick, they get to stay home and take care of their kids. You know, do we offer ample maternity leave? You know, that these, if we do these things, like we're going to see the like high power capability of mothers in our community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's such a good point in terms of, um, and because I'm just thinking about somebody listening right now who's going, wait, did we just turn a corner and are we talking about HR policies now? Or are we talking about, you know, right. workplace empowerment? But I think, again, the, the focus of today's conversation is not legislation, not, you know, advocacy on, on streets or whatever. All of those have their place. But today's conversation is about how do we create fully pro-life communities? And that's part of how we create fully pro-life communities is where we create workplaces where women can go, oh, I can see how I can do that as well. So just quickly, I would say, if, if you're a guy listening today and you go, wow, I'm in a decision-making role and there aren't a lot of other women on my team, sure, I would advocate go hire some women and get them on your team. But even besides that, start, you know, ask the guys on your team, hey, get their wives in and walk through the space and go, what would what would need to change in this space to be to make it, you know, better for women? Or, you know, in, invite some women into the space and say, what would make this space more accessible if we're hiring mothers to work in this space, start bringing those voices in because that begins to transform the place. So a mom advisory board. There you go. You're yes. starting a business. <laughs> right. You should have a mom advisory yes. board. Perfect. So my mind goes back to 2015 when Meredith and I became parents and we now have three beautiful little children, two biological, one adopted. Um, but, but really when we were in the the age and stage of small kids changing diapers and all of those types of things, I was astounded and didn't know this beforehand at how few establishments had changing stations in the men's restrooms. Mm. And it was something that I realized in becoming a parent was these really exist in the women's restroom because it's the woman's role to have the child. And, and, and so you can't see his quotations, but he's making quotations. Uh, And so, you know, what was communicated indirectly to me then was the dad or the male doesn't have a role yeah. in this conversation, doesn't have the active, visible position of being a parent in the conversation. So even as we talk about abortion, part of what you know we hear in the conversation is no womb, no voice, or, or uh, no womb, no say. So you know, as women, what do you say to that? What would you say to the men that are listening right now that, that don't have a womb? Do we have a say? Do we have an opinion? And if, if we do, what, what is that? So uh, Roland Warren, who is the president of CareNet, which is the national affiliation, a national affiliation for pregnancy centers, um, he says this in a recent interview with Marvin Olasky. He said Roe v. Wade uh, did a really unfortunate thing. Uh, Roe v. Wade told a woman that she was a mother um, at conception 
um, but decided that a father was a father at birth. And so what we did wow. without wow. knowing it is we actually now we've, we've already talked about pitting mother against baby, but now we're pitting um, mother against father. Um, and one of the, the unintended, you know, tended consequences of this piece of legislation is um, you know, and also in that interview, you know, he talks about, you know, when a woman comes into a pregnancy center, um, you know, when they surveyed women, the first person across the board that women told was the father of the child. Um, and so we're encouraged when we sit in there to ask these women, like, why did you tell him? Well, she told him because he was hope, she was hopeful, whether she realizes it or not in that moment, that he was going to articulate support back to her because she recognized sure. like, the two of us got here. I didn't get here by myself. Right. But what we hear when we say that this is only a women's decision and men need to stay out of it is that she now has to make this decision by herself. So that, in in essence, it um, you know it it removes and isolates her that she has to go through this, and then it tells him. Um, you know, that he does not have a role or responsibility. And so we hear this all of the time. It's like the classic dad answer is yeah. I'll support her, whatever she decides. Mm. But you know what that really is? It's shirking responsibility Yeah. because you're allowing yourself like a get out of jail free card because now she's isolated. She's got to go through instead of saying, you know, and this is what Roland did in his you know, he and his now wife, they got pregnant, they were at Princeton. And he said, you know, I am going to care for you as a wife. And I'm going to care, you know, for this baby as our child, I'm going to be a, a husband to you and a father to this child. I mean, we see that the that abortion, when the the significant other, the male, the father of the baby um, offers his support in that situation, abortion almost becomes a non-issue, um, you know, to that woman. And so the male voice is so vastly important. And to me, like it, it feels like such an injustice to look at this child. Like I'm sure we, like everyone listening knows how babies get here. Um, like there literally is a male in every single one of those situations. Yeah. And so what we're saying, like your voice doesn't matter. Like that's not the heart of God. And yeah. also like what an injustice. And that goes back to, you know, the very, one of the very first points, like we do not have to devalue, devalue the male voice in this conversation to somehow elevate or value women. They're equally important. Um, and it honestly, when we talk about making abortion unthinkable, it's, it's vastly important that men know that they do have a voice. Um, and, you know, we can, we can train men up, you know, in the church and in our communities to be empathetic and thoughtful and to understand that, yeah, there's a lot that happens in a pregnancy um, in bringing children to this world that only a woman experiences. Um, but that doesn't mean that they have to sit down and not have a voice. Yeah. Yeah, good. I mean, one of the things that I, I think about is how, at the moment, this is a decision that is essentially made by the woman legally, right? Uh, and so in a hypothetical situation, if a man were to get uh, a woman pregnant, then uh, then the woman decides um, if she's going to have the child, then uh, now the man is paying child support for a child that maybe he didn't want. Or if the, if the woman is making the choice to abort the child, he's now not having a say in a child that he was wanting to raise. And so now this is a, a decision that is being made by the woman that the man uh, doesn't have the say in in the outcome of something that he helped create in the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, probably one of the most unexplored frontiers of the effect of abortion on our community yeah. are post-abortive males um, because there is this element of, you know, they're kind of two, two kind of generalized camps they fall into. They either actively, um, you know, pushed her or coerced her to make that decision. And I'm telling you, like, working with those men, you know, the, the, the few that we've worked with, like, it is when they get to that point, like it is so traumatizing where they realize like not only was the like destruction of my child at my hands, but also the harm of this woman where typically the woman is just looking at like the destruction of the child. But then you have this other camp. And to me, this is such a like unreached, you know, 
people group when we talk about this issue mm. are these men who were shut out of the the equation and they they feel helpless i mean you know with our you know the haven which we'll talk about later you know we've seen men that literally are sitting in the parking lot and they're in tears because that isn't what they wanted um and she was you know quote unquote exercising her right as a woman and now here we have this broken guy and this broken father um and it really is devastating yeah so you've said something a couple of times in this conversation that the goal is not to make abortion illegal, but the goal is to make abortion unthinkable. Can you expound a little bit on what that means, where that came from, and, and what does that actually look like? So this is a really fun question for me. This is uh, sometimes where I get into a little bit of trouble, but something that I really love to talk about because it's actually a personal evolution. So my kind of journey into the the pro-life community was through public policy and advocacy. Um, And that really is where I thought that I wanted to live out my passion on this issue. I am a kind of closet government nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, In another life, I may run for (laughs) office. I love love the great American experiment. Um, And I thought, you know, well, if I do lobbying and public policy on the pro-life issue, like I get the best of both worlds. Um, And really to me, like when I started in this, like I saw that as the best way to affect change. Um, you know, as a true, you know, American, you know, lover of government, like that's how you change things. You do it through the government. Um, and really what I've evolved into is, um, you know, when I got into the movement, the like target on the wall was the overturning of, um, the 1973 decision of Roe v. Wade, that that felt like that is what everyone was putting their effort into, Um, and I found that a lot of people actually didn't understand what that meant. So, you know, you hear people, they're like, well, it'll make abortion illegal. And that's actually not the case. What an overturning of that decision would do is it actually would hand it back down to the states. So you have some states that abortion would actually increase and become more legal in. And then you have other states that it would become, there would be less abortion and some states it would become illegal in. I mean, it really would be a state by state case, which is how it was before the Roe v. Wade uh, decision. Um, And then, you know, as I kind of moved out of public policy and uh, and advocacy um, and into the human services side of this, I realized, like, while that would be monumental um, and while there definitely would be some change and some effect, um, that we can't legislate morality, that even after kind of that golden goose, um, that there would still be women who were still you know, engaging in sexual relationships, um, who found themselves pregnant, who are in a crisis and would still be looking for abortion. And so for me, like, yes, making it illegal, um, to me would be honoring. Like, I don't think that we, we should have laws that violate God's moral principles, But then I looked over here and you guys know me well enough to know, like, I want like the biggest win. Like if I'm going to give my life to something, like I want to get to the end of my life and go like, man, I fought really hard for what I thought was going to produce the most amount of work. And so for me, I kind of moved out of this, like, let's make abortion illegal into like, let's make it unthinkable. Um, And I want to dream really big. So how do we create first a city um, that like women wake up and they find out that they're pregnant and abortion does not even enter their minds because we have so built a community, a church, a society, and a nation um, that, that the infrastructure and the way that we do business and the way that we relate to each other, that it never is pitting woman against child, that she has all of the resources that she needs. Um, and the cool thing about this is I've kind of made this transition to not focusing on the legality and focusing to like envisioning and and communicating to people. Like I actually find that a lot more people want to get on that ladder train. I mean, it doesn't, they don't have to stop riding a donkey and get on an elephant. They don't have to start attending a different church. They don't have to, you know, change the, the way that they see, you know, public policy that everyone is like, I want women to be able to be equipped 
with all of their options. And so the cool thing is, is I've made this transition and as this is really kind of the mantra of our pregnancy center is to make abortion unthinkable, we see unlikely allies kind of across our community because of it. Wow. And, and so when you, when you think about uh, a community that abortion is, is unthinkable in because the pro-life um, support is so great. Um, what does that look like? Talk about, Meredith, you mentioned some of these just, just earlier, but let's go a little bit deeper yeah. into it. What is the, the pro-life support that is so robust? What does that look like practically? Yeah, I just, this is, you know, maybe the the painted picture, the the kind of vision part of it. But even as you were talking about that, again, a conversation we've had so many times, I just had this this thought of, you know, what if what if a woman wakes up, she finds herself with an unintended pregnancy for, for what all of the reasons that, that brought her there, and her first thought isn't... How do how do I make this go away? But her first thought is how do I how do I get to my church because I know that they'll be able to help me with wow. this. Wow. And instead of feeling like I, I have to get away from my church or I have to hide this from my church, how do I get to my church so that they can help me with this? Because I know that the support that I need is there. Whether that's hey here, here's how we can create an adoption plan for you, or here's how we're going to create a plan for you to finish your degree, or here's how you know we can can sign you up with a mentor who's going to teach you how to become a parent. Right. So many people who find themselves in this spot don't haven't had you know strong parenting themselves, and so they go I don't I don't know how to parent a child. So this seems unthinkable to me. What if all of those resources were there already? Yeah, that's so good. And, and so uh, a lot of this conversation, we've been talking about um, making abortion unthinkable because we're promoting a fully pro-life community. But the reality is, is that we're not there yet. And the reality is, is that abortions are taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what would you say to the, to the woman that is considering the abortion, the woman that uh, has just experienced an abortion, mm-hmm. uh, what is available for them? Well, first, um, I know you didn't ask about this woman, but I think it's really important. Um, and this woman is probably where I'm at right now who has captured my heart the most. Mm-hmm. And it would be, um, you know, the woman or the the guy listening who um, is like, look, like I'm pro-choice. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, here's what I would say, like, there is uh, room for you in, in helping turn the tide to make sure that a woman never has to walk through an abortion facility because she didn't have other options. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, even if we disagree on, you know, a myriad of other things, we can agree um, on that thing, you know, and, you know, to pro-life people, like we've got to put, you know, our our keyboards away and, you know, any weapon that we're using, I mean, realize like the more that we can find common ground with people, um, the better our community is going to be, you know, that we have to stop looking at people who are advocating for choice as the enemy. Um, we need to stop looking, you know, as the church, we need to stop looking at people who work at abortion facilities as the enemy. Like if we're going to be biblically whole life, you know, we talked about like, never devaluing someone to value someone else like that includes abortion facility workers like abortion facility workers are created in the image of Jesus and you know far too long we're sacrificing like we want to step over the like bodies of abortion facility workers and advocates to reach children and the bible gives us no luxury to do that like yeah, our and, yeah. and, and as faith faith-filled believers we have to uh, understand and accept that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood that the that the abortion uh, worker is not the enemy this is not uh, that I'm not viewing them as the enemy or the issue, but that we wrestle against spirits and principalities and those types of things. And so continue, please. Absolutely. Um, And the cool thing is, is that like, as we've, um, you know, our story and our organization is that part of what we do, actually, we have a building right next door to the abortion facility. um, And, you know, Jesus told us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and it was just really convenient that that was the antithesis of what we were doing. Yeah. Literally, um, but like, neighbor, right? literally my neighbor. And yeah. we always joke, like, look, if like the pregnancy center and the abortion facility can figure it out, like none yeah. of you have any excuses to not go home and love your neighbor as well. Yeah. Um, but the cool thing is, is that like, as I'm 
as I'm interacting with them, like they're really like, they're really cool people. And like, yes, they see things totally different than I do, but like they're people and they're super passionate. And I'm like, man, if we can get them passionate about like the life side of this, like good night, they're just so fierce. And I'm so appreciative of, um, just them. You know, so to the one that's looking, you know, for an abortion, you know, the biggest thing that I can encourage you to is just to take a deep breath. Um, You know, when we talk about decisions, you know, one of the things that you're going to want to think through is not just how is this decision going to affect you today or even in the next 10 days. Like try to think about your yourself, you know, 10 months from now. Like yeah. how are you going to feel about this decision 10 months from now when you're not in the the crisis that you're in right now? And, and then try to imagine yourself 10 years from now. Um, you know, how are you going to feel about this decision? And also you're not alone. You're not alone and Look, we've all been through stuff that, you know, we're ashamed of. um, But when we isolate ourselves, um, we end up, you know, creating more damage for ourselves. And so if you're here locally, the Pregnancy Center would love um, to walk with you. Um, And the good news is, is that even if you're not, there are pregnancy centers all over our nation. Just do a quick Google search and look for, uh, you know, look for uh, a local pregnancy center And then if you've walked through that, I mean, hear me loud and clear um, that there is hope um, and there is forgiveness for you. Um, You know, that the the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, you know, it didn't it wasn't only for everything else except for your abortion, um, that Jesus's blood on the cross is actually uh, big enough and strong enough to cover that. Um, And I know that it probably feels terrifying to even think about um, talking to somebody about that. Um, But my encouragement to you, you know, as someone who has had that experience is to reach out um, and to share that experience um, with someone you know, here in, you know, Toledo, we have a ministry called um, The Haven, and that's all we do at The Haven is we work with men and women who have made an abortion um, decision, and we would just be so just honored to be able to walk through um, what healing and restoration, and even if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't think I need heal or restoration, like sometimes it's just good to be able to have a place to be able to process through those emotions. Yeah. And, you know, we have appointments that really are just for people to talk about what they went through um, and to kind of start getting that out and walking through, like, how do I feel about this? Like, did I, did, did I make the right decision? How do I live with this? And so it would just absolutely be our honor to walk with you. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, if you're listening and you know, you're like, oh, well, that's cool, but I don't live in the Toledo area and I could use some help where I am now. If you send us messages, if you reach out to the church, you know, we would love to connect you with local partners, begin that conversation with you. Make sure you can help get connected to anywhere, um, you know, that you are and make sure you have the support that you need. Um, of course, this is a, a huge conversation. There are lots of other things that we could have gotten into, other roads and avenues, um, but we really just wanted to open that thought of imagining what does a fully pro-life community look like? What does it mean to be a fully pro-life person who's advocating and supporting a community that supports life even uh, even after that birth happens, not just advocating for, I think you said pro-birth, uh, but really advocating for a pro-life community, which is what uh, we're really going going after here. So if you have other questions, things you didn't get to, we would love for you to just send us some direct messages. We'd love to continue that conversation, um, have some more dialogue around it. It's something that we're passionate about. Um, feel free to send that in and keep chatting along um, in that direction. Uh, If this content was helpful to you, of course, like it, share it, comment, all that good stuff. Let us know. And we'd love to hear what other kinds of conversations you would love having. Until then, keep living a resilient faith and declaring Jesus everywhere.